Hello, everybody from the beautiful Buckman neighborhood of Portland, Oregon. I am out on the porch. It's a gray day, but no rain, 54 degrees. My name is Zachary Kay, and with me today is a lifelong singer-songwriter, Be Wishes. How are you today? I am right here. Great. Yeah, that's a good place to be. Uh, joining me remotely, I should say. Remotely. In the so moment. Not, yes, in the moment. Uh, yeah, so I want to start off by thanking you for my birthday present, which arrived today. Today, the day that we're recording, this will publish on my birthday, so it's very uh, topical, okay. but thank you for that. I thought you might yeah. have fun with that thing. Yeah, it looks like it's, like it's going to be great. Um, for the, the listeners, it's a like little light projection thing that projects stars on the ceilings and walls to whatever music you're playing, so that should be good. Um, Depending yeah. on the music, of course. <laughs> Right, depending on the music. Right, if the music is bad, then it's, it's then it all sucks. Yeah, it'll be it'll be really bad. Um, great. So, I mentioned you are a lifelong singer songwriter, and one thing I've noticed for myself and for a lot of other people is that the pandemic has affected people's creativity in a lot of different ways. And I've always known you to be extremely prolific. So I'm wondering how these circumstances have affected your, I guess, creative output? Uh, that's a really good question, and it's been really variable in the amount of time that this has been going on, because in some ways, uh, between all the things that are happening, besides the pandemic, I mean, the circumstances of our nation, our election, all the things that people are, are stressing about, the protests, I mean, yeah, as you, the climate change, it's a perfect storm. So there's a lot of distraction, and it tends to put you in that kind of constant low-level flight or flight, fight or flight mode. And it's very hard. I've, I've found it really hard to focus on producing, you know, and trying to finish projects. That's been really hard. Um, but some songs have leaked out. And I say leaked out because it's a weird thing that my muse is like this alter personality that is, sits in this little chair in the back of my head and is, she's like, yeah, you, you can be stressed, you do your thing, but I'm going to work on this song. And it just kind of goes on in the background and finally comes out regardless. So it's, it's kind of uh, involuntary to keep writing. I, I have written a, a couple of songs at least. So sure. there's that. Uh, yeah, that, I get that. I definitely uh, identify with the struggle to put in the, the difficult work hours to finish something. But the ideas keep, keep generating, definitely. I think that makes a lot of sense. Um, well, and you mentioned... Always, oh, sorry. I was going to say they always say it's so much easier to start a project than finish it. And I'm finding that to be really true right now. Yeah, yeah, definitely. It's definitely true. Um, you mentioned not just the pandemic, but the, the political climate and the climate climate also as things that are top of mind. In your songs, you've always really spoken from the heart. You've talked a lot about your personal experience, but you've also never shied away from having a political voice in your work. Uh, and how has that balanced in your creativity lately? Well, uh, right after the impeachment fiasco that ended in acquittal, I did quickly produce a song and video called The Death of America. And it's quite potent. I don't know if you saw that or not, but yeah. um, it's 
and that was before the pandemic. Now it's like it feels like a lot more literal. You know? So yeah, I did. I I did come out with one super scathing political song. Uh, I wrote another song in the last few years called "No Better Where We Are," and the idea of that song is that we have all this amazing technology. We can send people to the moon. We can cure diseases. We can do so much, and yet there's still this base primitive action and reaction thing that we can't get away from. And so at the same time that we're sending people to the space station and all this really cool stuff, we're also just wallowing in this pigsty of racism and hatred and uh, poverty and, and things that just shouldn't, shouldn't be happening at the same time. It's like, how, how do these two things coexist, these two states of being for humanity? It's really weird to me. Yeah, I think, I'm going to butcher this, but there's some famous historic inventor, might have been Einstein, I don't know, probably someone who worked on the Manhattan Project who talked about how um, humanity's technology is advancing faster than its capacity to understand how to use its technology. That's right. Yeah. And that, that sounds like a lot of what you're saying with that song. Yeah, um, the, the, the hook is, we've come so far, yet no better where we are. Yeah. And it's very sad, actually. It's quite depressing. And I know that you wrote another song very recently, specifically about living in the pandemic. Uh, it's called Rain on My Face, and we're going to listen to it in just a moment, but I was hoping you could give a little introduction before we play it. Well, it was interesting the way this song came about, because... Um, Jack and I walk every day. We go out and we do a few miles. Usually we do a five-mile loop. Sometimes we go off into the woods and do different trails. And, um, and we walk in the rain. You know, it doesn't matter what the weather is. And the hook of the song is just rain on my face. I've got no need to cry. Had, had been rattling around. And that's the way my muse works. Is it's like take, it takes a bite of an idea and she just chews on it and chews on it. But I had no idea what the song was about and what the verses were going to be. So that, that hook was rattling around. And especially during our walk, it's like my mind always wanted to work on it while we were walking. And um, finally, after a few months of this pandemic, this, this shutdown and this just persistent feeling of being in suspended animation. And we often find ourselves saying, you know, just live in the moment right now because everything's fine. And, you know, I, and I do that. This is one of my philosophies for my life in general is what I call the zoom out. You know, when you start feeling sorry for yourself, you think, oh, I, you know, I don't, this didn't work out for me, and I didn't get the successes I wanted, or whatever, whether it's a small items or big items that you're, you're pitying about, you just, you have to zoom out and go, oh my God, here I am, I'm warm, I'm dry, I'm well fed, I have everything I need, I, I am loved, my family's all okay, nobody's died recently, you know, and... That, to me, is just zooming in on the moment that you're in. And if everything's okay, you just go, and, and that's a kind of a Buddhist thing, too, to be in the moment. And now, I want to make clear, though, that living in the moment is different than living for the moment, because that can be quite <laughs> destructive. We don't want to go there. So living in the moment. 
And that's what I've had to do a lot during this pandemic because I, the future is so uncertain right now. But in some ways, being a musician, you know, a self-employed vagabond musician my whole life, it's always been uncertain. So in some ways it hasn't changed. So that's kind of what the song is about. The verses are about just that feeling of, okay, everything's fine right now and we don't know what's gonna happen, so just hang tight. But it's, there's also a sadness about it in that this time things are really changing and there's a lot about this time and place that we are going to have to say goodbye to. Great, well with no further ado, uh, here's Rain on My Face by Be Wishes.
Wow, yeah. What a, what a moving song. I think, you know, there's a real sense of inevitability to it, but also that sense of, uh, I guess, acceptance of this inevitable thing that is happening. You know, it's the rain's hitting your face. You can't do anything to change it. Uh, it sucks, but that's, you know, that's what's happening. Is, is that an accurate sort of yeah. description of the feeling? Yeah, it's, that's, that's right, yeah. Change is inevitable, but this is, this is a big one. And it's, it's really, we don't know if it's ever going to be the same. Yeah, there's that line in the first verse, nothing has changed and that nothing can stay the same anymore. Yeah. And I was hoping you would talk a little more about that line because I think it's very uh, cogent, not just of the situation in, in the world, in the U.S., but also what we were talking about earlier with how there's a necessary change, but there's always been a necessary change. Yeah, things in normal times evolve, change, you know, it takes a natural disaster of some sort, you know, to just pull the rug out from everybody, from under everybody. And that's what's happened here with the pandemic. And, you know, human nature, we, to some degree, always know that things are going to change. And if it doesn't change for a really long time, then we tend to get bored. We tend to get into a, a static existence where we're like, oh my God, you know, I, I need to shake things up. And so a lot of times people do change on purpose and, and totally recreate themselves. But this time it's just like a wind that came, came from nowhere. And uh, as much as we know things have to change, and they will, it's the only constant, uh, this time it's just bigger and it's bigger than all of us. And there's so much of it that we can't control. We can't steer this thing. We just have to ride it. I mean, not like, you know, herd immunity. <laughs> I'm not talking about that. But we just have to stay in the moment and try to, try to keep going. <laughs> I don't know how else to put it. Yeah. And I want to come back to that, especially as we talk about your personal experience and your, your career trajectory, especially during this pandemic. I also want to talk about the end of the chorus, and, and it's sort of a refrain later on the song as well, is say goodbye to this time and place. And I wanted to ask you, what does that act of saying goodbye mean to you? It means letting it go. Letting go. Oh, let's see if I think about this for a second. You know, like I was saying before, you, you move through changes in your life and there were like chapters and that as you get older, you look back on. And um, saying goodbye to this time and place is just a, an acknowledgement and a letting go of that things will not be the same. I mean, I don't know anybody in any circumstance that is not going to be deeply and forever changed by this time. You know, and I don't know how anyone's life is really going to be the same. Because even if it's just a, a question of, uh, there's a lot of people whose circumstances didn't really change that much, except for just the simple thing of not being able to hug their kids for two years or whatever it's going to be. There's going to be this big hole of connection 
And um, yeah, I mean, I, I think that does that does that explain it, kind of? Yeah, abs- absolutely, absolutely. Uh, and, and you talked a lot about how we have to to let go and how things are always going to change, and we can't cling to this moment of how or of how things are right now on a personal level. But is that also uh, a political statement? As oh God, I hope know, th- so. <laughs> <laughs> I hope so, real bad. <laughs> Because we don't want to stay here in this time in this place as far as that goes. That's for sure. Yeah. I, I guess what I was really what I was really getting at, and you, and you really answered it, was that it seems like a lot of policy from a certain side of, of politics right now is things are great how they are and nothing should change. Uh, or even we should go back to how things used to be, which seems uh, diametrically opposed. And I was just curious if you had that in mind as sort of a dual meaning while you were writing the song. Well, in a way, yes, because I think, but from a different kind of angle, in that I think that the last few years has been the end of an innocence for a lot of Americans. We're seeing a side of America that maybe we just didn't want to accept was there, we didn't know was there. So in, in to many of us, just this country we live in, we'll never look or feel the same again. So that's another big say goodbye to this time and place. Things are, I mean, I, I, I think probably after, you know, everybody keeps going back to 1968 and that whole time where there was so much going on, so much drama and social discord and the Vietnam War and, and assassinations and, and so forth. and. So that, too, was a moment of awakening for a lot of people. It's like, wow, this, this stuff can happen in my country. And I think we're going through that again. And it is a, a sad, it's a loss, it's an end of innocence. Or at least yeah. an ability to, to pretend or ignore certain aspects of our country that, you know, they've, they've been there, but they sure are magnified now. Yeah, that's definitely something I've talked with, uh, you know, other guests on the pod in previous episodes about how these people were always there, but now they're emboldened. And uh, as as just talking to Ashley in the last episode, now that we have a president who refuses to say that racism is bad, the people who are racist feel like it's okay to be racist, and and so we're seeing a lot of that. Um, and and you live in Southern Oregon, so when you're talking about this loss of innocence to the country as a whole, are you feeling that especially in in the region and area that you're in? No, I think that's something that's resonating in the souls of people like you and me. (laughs) You know, it's not specific to the area you live in, but it's 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 a deep feeling of alarm and disappointment and sadness. And I've always said, you know, since this all started, and the white supremacists started really rearing the, sh- the whole Charlottesville thing was the first, oh my God, this is really, you know, this is bad. Um, I've always said, you know, the people that lost the Civil War didn't disappear. <laughs> They've always been here, and that thinking has always been here. But like you said, it hasn't been um, <laughs> approved by, by the president at this point. Yeah, and there's definitely a school of thought, too, that says that the South didn't really lose the Civil War and that they won it through Reconstruction and all the, 
um, policies that they were able to, to win from the North as part of that rejoining of the country, and obviously Jim Crow, segregation, uh, definitely maintained slavery if in anything other than actual name. Exactly, yeah. I mean, it, if, at this point, I'm sure, I, I don't want to be presumptuous and say I'm sure, but I would assume that to black people in this country, the Civil War just looks like the, the first battle. It doesn't look like anything was ever settled there. Yeah, I mean, I, I also wouldn't presume, but it, it's, it would definitely be a very naive reading of history to look at the Civil War and say, oh, we ended racism in 1860, mm -hmm. whatever. Uh, so moving on to your personal experience, as a, as a professional musician, uh, most of your work comes from performing, like performing live in front of people or teaching students who you go to their home or they come into your home or you meet at a physical location. And obviously, none of that is possible right now. So what has the impact been of not just losing that income, but that, uh, that occupation in the true sense of the word? Oh, it's been, uh, it's been complete. It's been a total devastation. I mean, even as a gig worker, a, a working musician, I'm uniquely screwed in, in this, in that in being a, a performer and a working musician, if you're trying to live just on gigs, on live performances, especially in a market like this, it's, it's almost impossible. I mean, you, the, trying to book every single weekend and just scrape up some weekend. So over the years, I've diversified. And the things that I've, at my little niches that have given me a kind of a baseline of security income have been running a weekly open mic night. <laughs> well, those aren't going to come back for a long time, are they? Lots of people pluminating all over each other, sharing microphones. It's a love fest. It's a germ fest. It's not going to happen. Um, of course, teaching my kid choirs. Who who would have known that teaching choirs is like a, a lethal activity now? You know what I mean? And yeah. um, performing at retirement homes. I did a lot of those little gigs, and they were nice because they were an hour long. They were super easy. I played the jazzy, sweet stuff, and it was really fun. So those are three things in addition to the live performances, the gigs, the regular gigs, that are just gone. So in that aspect, I, I am really uniquely screwed. I have to reinvent everything to come up with an income again, at least for a long time, because I, I really can't imagine any of those activities coming back for quite a while. So, but on the other hand, um, uh, in many other ways, I'm in so much better a position than a lot of people in this pandemic. By which I mean, I've always been poor. I've always been a poor musician, and I've always lived within my means. And so my overhead is low. I don't have massive debts. I don't have huge rent, mortgage payments, credit card debt, you know, all the stuff that, that are the trappings of most yuppie people or middle-income people. So I'm in a better position, <laughs> you know, because those people, you, you take, for example, a... a couple in their 30s, 40s, whatever, 
young family. They're both working full-time jobs, and they've got an overhead of rent or mortgage that's somewhere between two, dollars $3,000 a month at least. They've both probably got car payments between $400 and $1,000 a month. They've got credit card debt up the yin-yang because people never learn, and they just always do that. And so those people lose their jobs suddenly, and their world falls apart. They, they're done. They, those bills keep coming. So, yeah, I'm in a, in a way better spot as far as that goes. Um, and, you know, it's funny. I was, I was watching the news a couple of weeks ago or a month or so ago, and it was a little segment about the tremendous lines for food bank handouts. And I was looking at this huge, long line. People were waiting in line to get a box of food from the food banks for, like, hours and you know what really struck me? They were all really nice cars in that food bank line. And mm. I'm thinking, these are people that never imagined being in this position. So it's, it's a lot scarier and a lot more dire for them. The, the evictions and the foreclosures and the repossessions and all that stuff are just going to start falling like dominoes now. So I, I, I feel much worse for them than I do for myself, actually. That's so interesting to hear you say. Um, I think most people, when they think of you know, people who have been really screwed by the pandemic, they think of people who work in restaurants, service workers, or, or, or bars, uh, or like yourself, musicians, who have just totally lost all their ability to make their income. And so then to hear you who, you who are what you who is, you, you who are one of those people, <laughs> Uh, say, oh, no, 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 there's, there's still other people who have it worse. Uh, it really is, first of all, it shows great perspective on your part to, to do that zoom out like you were talking about earlier. Um, but it just shows that there's so many more layers to this that people aren't necessarily considering outside of their own experience. Yeah, not having huge payments and huge debts right now is, is paramount. To surviving this thing. Yeah. Um, so you mentioned earlier that you've had to really just reinvent everything. And I'm curious, how's, how's that going? How are you reinventing? What are you, what are you looking at? Just, uh, you know, what's that process like? Yeah, well, I, I, I said that as if it's really happening, but really right now, <laughs> <laughs> I've had to reinvent everything. In fact, I don't know what I'm going to do. <laughs> no, at this point, I really, I seriously have no clue. I have no clue. So that's, that's where just coming back to staying in the moment and going, okay, right now I'm okay. I mean, my ultimate, what I've been working towards for years, and, and I'm still working towards this, and that is to get a piece of land and build my own home and become self-sufficient. I want to have a few acres. I want to be in the woods or the country. I want to be able to grow my garden, raise my chickens, live on solar. You know, I want to go back to nature and disconnect and be off-grid and be self-sufficient. Because no matter what happens with climate or social rage or whatever could possibly happen or, or no income in the future, that's what I need to, that's the position I want to be in. You know, and so I've been working towards that for 
oh gosh, the last decade probably saving money, working on my credit, just getting in a position where I can make that move. And the only thing that the pandemic has done that has really screwed that up is that um, I'm not going to be able to get a bank loan now because I have no income. <laughs> I, I was in a position where I at least had this certain amount of provable income through my income taxes for years and years. And with my great credit and my, my cash savings, I've I thought I was in a pretty good position that I could get myself a little piece of land. But now that's going to be even harder because I, you know, I was like, yeah, give me a loan. No, I don't have a job and I don't know when or if I'll ever have a job again. <laughs> so yeah. it's a bit more precarious. So I really don't know, Zach. I, I honestly don't know. I'm going to lay low for the winter and just see how things pan out. In the meantime, I'm going to get my life organized and be ready to jump ship into, even if it's just a jump in my little school bus and travel around and busk. <laughs> that may be what sure. I... And maybe that'll be the perfect life for me. I don't know. I don't think my cat would like it much, but... <laughs> yeah, the cat, maybe not. You, do, you definitely like that school bus. Um, it's fabulous. Ha, have you considered doing, like... And this isn't me trying to give you career advice or anything, but I'm genuinely curious if you've looked into Zoom lessons, which I know a lot of music teachers are, are doing... Yeah, you know, my honey, he's doing his Zoom lessons. What I do is so, first of all, we're doing it together, and there's still not an app that doesn't have latency. So that kind of freaks me out. And it's just such an in-person thing to teach, to be a vocal coach, you know? And I'm not the kind of teacher that really does theory and that when I'm doing music lessons, I'm teaching people songs. And maybe, you know, I might do a few. That's not the answer for me, though. It's not going to replace my B groups. So I don't know. I think that I think that's pretty much done for me. Yeah, I, that's that's very understandable. I mean, I, I know a few people who are musicians who either give Zoom lessons or take Zoom lessons, and it's always seemed, like you said, very impersonal. It seems like you're not going to really be able to even just hear things as well as you would in person because, you know, as, as you and I are chatting over Zoom right now. There's audio artifacting, and, and it doesn't sound perfect. So how are you going to really critique someone's performance or, or, or learn from a, a more masterful performance when you can't fully intake it? Right. For singing, that, that, that's what makes it seem like it won't work because it's so much about hearing exactly where people are placing their voice and how loud they are and what their projection and their posture and just there's so much emotion and I feel like that would get filtered out now for the kind of lessons that Jack does it's great and in some ways um, especially when he's working with younger kids they pay better attention because they have to be focused on that screen so for for teaching theory and that kind of stuff it seems to be it seems to work well but that's not what I do sure yeah, and, and also for singing, it's dependent on everyone's audiovisual setup, whether they have a nice microphone and know how to use it and set it up properly. Yeah, it just doesn't... I don't huge think barrier do to it. entry. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so you mentioned that your goal that you've been working to, toward is being self-sustaining. And, and I wrote down the phrase, back to nature. And I'm curious, you grew up in... Uh, you know, a log cabin in Alaska. Do you think that your desire to go back to nature and do that sort of live off the land lifestyle comes from your your childhood? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Um, 
Yeah, there's no doubt about it. It's, it's like a, a homing pigeon. You know, I just, I got to get back to that because when I was really little, uh, our first few years up there were scary. And, and we, we ended up being homeless and losing everything many times. And the first time that I ever remember feeling like, okay, here we are, we have a home, we've built this cabin, um, where my, I suddenly was experiencing a sense of security that I probably never had up until that point, was when I was six and we, we moved to what is still the family property up on the lake. Uh, and so I'm, I'm hardwired. To that my my nervous system is hardwired to feeling good and peaceful and secure when I'm sitting by a lake listening to birds, you know, and feeling the wind. And that's where I got to be. That's, that's that's just where I got to be. Do you ever think about going back to Alaska specifically in that same lake? That could happen. I mean, at this point, that's one of the things that I'm. I that's back on the on the possibility list because. Um, because of finances, because of this pandemic. I don't know if I will ever be able to get in a position to buy a decent piece of property. Now, Oregon is just too expensive. I mean, we're actually looking like in Washington so that we'd be really close to Northern Oregon, but the property prices are so much cheaper if you just make that little leap there. Yeah. But um, if I want land on a lake, I've got land on a beautiful lake in the woods. The, the caveat is, of course, you have to live through the winters up there, and I'm still not excited about that. But I don't know. I just, that, that could happen. I would rather um, Oregon or Washington, you know, somewhere around here, because those winters are just devastating to me. But it could happen. Yeah, I, I, that's, those are all you know, really important and, and strong considerations right now. Uh, and plus my family of, is there too, you know, I would be moving home to be near my family and that would be, that would be a mixed bag. <laughs> <laughs> as it always is, as it all, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, you know, earlier you were talking about this winter and hunkering down for this winter uh, and I, I can't help but compare it in a metaphorical sense to the brutal Alaskan winters of darkness and frigid temperatures. And, and this seems like it's going to be a winter of metaphorical darkness and frigid winters, uh, definitely for us in the U.S. and maybe also for people elsewhere. Yeah, well, it's, it's a different kind of hunkering down, but... Same uh, isolation, despair. <laughs> but, you know, in Alaska, and the thing, part of what I crave about being um, more in the wild again is that nature is bigger than you. And, and the weather, even on those, those deep, dark, freezing, cold winter nights, um, that's, your, that's your circumstance to be aware of rather than horrible humanity and what's on the news, you know what I mean? It's a, just a different, the things that, that fill your senses are, are the rhythms of nature. And even when they're really dramatic, there's, they're less disconcerting to me than any moment of the news these days. <laughs> 
Yeah, why do you think that is, that you find it easier to deal with uh, the extreme harshness of the natural world than maybe the extreme evils of the human world? Well, because nature makes sense, period. There's a logical course of flow to a winter night, and you know that the day is going to dawn and that it's going to warm up and, you know, the bear that's knocking on your door will go away or you're going to have an ultimate confrontation with the bear, but the issue is going to be resolved. (laughs) I mean, whereas humanity right now, everything just feels so completely insane and it's exhausting because everything feels so surreal and it doesn't make sense and you don't people are just like spinning out on on not being able to figure out what's true what's true and what's fake if you're out in the woods there's no doubt about what's true it's right there you know and there's there's no one disputing it <laughs> there's no fake news in the woods exactly and there's no conspiracy theories about why it was 40 below last night you know what i mean Right. It just yeah. is. Yeah, I get that. Definitely from a... Even without the scientific element of, okay, well, right now it's nighttime because the sun is on the other side of the planet, you just it's going to happen that way no matter what. Because it's nature uh, and it makes sense and it has an order to it. Yeah. And it's not always nice and it's not always pretty and it's not always easy or comfortable, but it makes sense. Although, uh, not to be... The, the Debbie Downer on that, but it seems like the evil of the human world is seeping into the natural world with climate change, which you mentioned earlier. And do you worry that climate change is getting so extreme so fast that even your plans of living a self-sustaining life off the natural world could get impacted by that? Definitely. I'm definitely worried about that, and that's a big part of the reason why I'm moving north, whether it's only as far as Washington or all the way back up to Alaska. Um, The fires here that wiped out talent in Phoenix, that Alameda fire, and that whole week was a real eye-opener. It made me realize that even if, you know, I, I won the lottery and I got my beautiful piece of property here that I want and I build my dream, I could lose it in a heartbeat. And not only that, even if I don't, um, the, the smoke and the fires and the summers being just fearful and um, devastated by that element really changes the, how the future looks to me staying here. So that, that has a big impact on why I'm, you know, I'm giving up on, on southern Oregon because it's just too darn, it's too hot, it's too dry, it's too close to California. You sure. know? Um, so yeah, moving north is uh, definitely... Uh, a result of that thought process. Which is fitting because Alaska's state motto is, of course, north to the future. (laughs) Well, that's true. And unfortunately, a lot of people are going to be moving north. And, you know, I I was thinking about how how I'm, I'm the poor person in the family and I won't have much to leave my kid. But then I was also thinking that, you know, Property in Alaska might, in a generation, be the most valuable thing I could ever <laughs> leave my kid. Because, man, you know, it's, we just don't know how bad it's going to get. Yeah, I, that's true. And, and you never really know, at least I don't really know, what the 
impacts will be and where and how it's going to hit. I mean, we've all seen that one movie, the Nick Cage movie, The Day After Tomorrow, where yeah. it just happens mm -hmm. really fast and everyone has to go south and then everyone has to go north. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But uh, the science in that was obviously Hollywooded. Yeah, it wasn't that far off, though. I mean, we're seeing tornadoes in, in California and fire-nadoes and all kinds of shit. It's like, whoa. <laughs> yeah, and I mean, you talk about moving north. Well, if we had fires here, too. Uh, you know, oh, and were... even in Alaska, it's getting worse, sure. too. And sure. another no, thing I... that's making the fires so much worse, and it's really affecting Alaska, is that the climate change is causing beetle infestations that are killing mass amounts of trees. So you've got your forests that are just littered with dead standing kindling. Right. So that makes it just so much more dangerous when a fire does start. So there's really nowhere that's safe from that completely. But you figure if you move to somewhere that's covered in snow for six months out of the year, that's at least going to cut down on the longevity of the fire season. <laughs> Yeah, that's fair. It's tough. It's tough to uh, have a wildfire when there's feet of snow on the ground. That's, that's right. definitely. And then there's summers up there where it just rains constantly, you know. And that uh, that that doesn't sound good to me. But I'm I'm not really digging the heat anymore. I can't tolerate heat very well, and it's just it's no fun. Yeah, the heat is definitely my biggest. Uh, well, not my biggest, but one of my larger climate reasons for moving north is that I just don't like it when it gets hot. Yeah, cool rainy weather doesn't sound bad to me anymore. It doesn't sound off-putting. It sounds kind of nice. Yep. Yeah, definitely. Um, yeah. Well, this has been a very cheery conversation has about. It? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, a super cheery. Um, it's been a real pleasure. I want to ask you if there's anything you want to plug, website, social, anything like that. Uh, not really. Uh, I mean, for fun, you can check out Growing Belushi, the three-part miniseries uh, that Jim Belushi did. That's on. Uh, it was it aired on Discovery, and it's on YouTube now. And if you go to the last episode, <laughs> there we are. We were doing one of the gigs with him, and it's the one where Dan Aykroyd joins us. So that was kind of a fun moment. That's a fun thing to a fun memory. And uh, hopefully that'll happen again, too. But that's another thing that uh, may never be again, too. But, uh, yeah, I don't, I'm, I'm not really doing anything. You know, I'm not booking shows because I feel, uh, I mean, there are some venues that are doing some shows. But I, I feel like it's kind of wrong to encourage people to go out and uh, socialize right now. So it doesn't feel morally like the right thing to do, you know. So I really don't have anything to plug. I'm just trying to work on getting some new songs demoed, recorded out there in the world and keep on keeping on. And just to add some context to uh, your bit about Growing Belushi, when you say there we are, you're referencing that you played in the band. Right, yeah, me and my, my honey Jack on guitar and uh, on our bassy buddy Johnny Trujillo next door, all three of us were on stage there with Aykroyd and Belushi. <laughs> Cool. And it's fun, well, it's, you know, it's a fun little moment. <laughs> yeah, yeah, we'll make sure to link that in the show description. I will also link your video, Death of America. Thank you. And aside from that, I've voted. Have you voted yet? You yes, sir. Absolutely. Excellent. There's still, uh, as of airing 
a week and a day left in the election. Vote, everybody vote, you must vote. Uh, I, I'm gonna say I don't care who you vote for, I do care, but I'd rather you just vote, right. regardless. Get used to being involved. Yeah. Participate. Yeah. I just so actually that, made a, a new little video, a, a vote video. I don't know if you saw that, it's really weird. I didn't see that one, but I'll link <laughs> that as well. It's vote. pretty strange. It's just a little, like, you know, PSA. Yeah, I mean, PSAs are good. Any, any way that you can tell people to vote, which is what I'm doing right now. Yes. So, so Also, be very careful with your signature. You know, there, there's some states that are really going to go for the, if your signature doesn't match what's on your driver's license, they're going to toss your ballot. I was so nervous about that, I actually got my driver's license out and practiced my signature a few times to make sure that I still wow. do it basically that way. Because all of our signatures change over the years. So little things like that, it was like, this is so important. <laughs> yeah, that didn't even occur to me, uh, but that's a really good point. Mm -hmm. you, know, you know about Oregon's track your ballot thing, right? Yeah. Um, well, they will actually tell you if there's an issue with yeah, your signature. that's what I've heard. So, uh, and I'm not just saying that to you, but to everyone listening, do go to the Oregon state government website, track your ballot, make sure there are no issues, make sure it's accepted. Uh, mine was today, I checked. And that's another good reason to vote early as possible so that you have yeah. time to catch that if, if that's... Totally. And they will let you fix it too. I have a friend mm -hmm. who, um, not in this election, but in a previous election, forgot to sign his ballot. Ooh. And he sent it in, but he used the track my ballot and it said, you know, there was no signature on this ballot, so he had to, I don't remember exactly what the process, but it had to go, to an, go into a courthouse or, or a county building or something, and they gave him a, a paperwork to sign that said, basically, yeah, I'm an idiot and I forgot to sign my ballot, but that is how I voted. Here is my signature, except this. Uh -huh. So there are ways to remedy if you make a mistake with your ballot. Yeah. Yep, yep. Great. Well, that said, thank you for joining me. Thank you for having me. And thanks to everybody who is listening or will be listening in the future, not has been listening because that's impossible unless there's some you know, time travel stuff going on that I don't know about yet. But I feel like if there is time travel, they probably won't use it to listen to this podcast. You never know. But with that, I will sign off and say goodbye and goodnight to everybody. Say goodbye. Thank you, Zach. Thank you.